Hello and welcome to the Tallest Tree Digital Podcast. I'm Cord Blomquist, and with me, as always, is Anar Johansson. Hello, Anar. Hey. So this week we're not going to talk so, about the news. We're going to have a theme episode no. again. What's the theme on this episode? Mm. Um, crawlability. So that's how Google crawls around your site and finds your pages. How well it can do that. That is. Yeah. So that's one of the the three three things that a search engine does. A search engine is an information retriever. That's what we call it in the computer science world. It's the the realm of information retrieval. So all Google does is it crawls, it indexes, and then it it ranks, or it 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 fetches re- results and orders them somehow. Right. So when we're thinking about SEO, we're always thinking about ways to improve one of those three aspects of what Google does. Um, and with a with a client we have right now, there's crawlability issues. So it's sort of at the top of our mind. And we've been thinking about how to solve those issues. So um, let's dive into it. What's uh, what's first on the crawlability agenda? Um, that's a thing called robots.txt. It's a text file that you can, you probably should uh, have available for any website. So um, what does it do? Um, you want yeah, to go into that? It, yeah, and, and the Google Search Off the Record podcast did an excellent episode mm-hmm. on this. I think that had maybe John and Gary and Martin uh, all on there talking about uh, robots txt but the file is very simple and the file's been essentially mm-hmm. the same since the 1990s um although mm-hmm. there are there are some optional commands that you can put into it like crawl rate i think bing and some others may honor some of that um the basic commands i believe are agent um so you can create a set of directives by agent. So one agent might be Googlebot, um, a more yeah. or Bingbot might be another one. And and agents are also hierarchical, as in the way that robots.txt works with everything is it will honor the most specific rule. So if you say Googlebot mm-hmm. disallow everything, but Google News, I don't I'm not sure exactly what that bot's oh. called. Google News bot. The most specific agent, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. So there's a sort of like a hierarchy to those agents. So Google bot would just say everything that's Google, do this or don't do this. But if you make a more specific, okay. a more specific directive, Google News, you can do this. Maybe you would grant Google News or Google Images or something like that a, a specific directory. I don't see people doing yeah. that a lot, but um, maybe. But with allow mm-hmm. and disallow, then the hierarchy of stuff becomes more important or or you can see the more obvious use case. For example, um, you might say uh, disallow WP admin. Um, I don't mm-hmm. want I don't want Google to index anything in the admin folder, but I, I believe there's often in in the um I forget the name of these files because it's all handled automatically. So this is stuff we don't commit to memory because it's usually just done. Um, yeah, but yeah. almost almost always on WordPress, there's a disallow 
uh, of one of the WordPress files full of just stuff that makes the CMS run, but they allow access to a certain JavaScript file because without being able to access that JavaScript file, the crawler can't render JavaScript stuff on the page. Uh, There's some little technical yeah. thing like that, but it, it's sort mm -hmm. of like if you had a crazy boss who was saying like, um, uh, well, welcome to the car dealership. I allow you to test drive any of the blue cars, but you're not allowed to, uh, to test drive any of the blue SUVs, but you are allowed to test drive the blue SUV made by Porsche. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like those would seem like contradictory rules and there's no buts in between or ifs, right? It's just allow, disallow, mm -hmm. allow, disallow, and it will always follow the most specific, the most like yeah. down the directory structure, um, mm -hmm. Instru instruction that you give it. So pretty simple set of protocols. The other thing that it can do is just, you can put in sitemap colon and the, where it will find your sitemap. So it's super simple, but it's also ridiculously powerful. So you can yeah. put in something like agent, uh, and you could just disallow all. So agent star, that would be all agents disallow mm -hmm star easy to make a big mistake yeah yeah so this is like this is the the fulcrum around which everything else rotates on the site right it's it's the most powerful thing um you can open your site up to the crawler completely you could shut it all down you could shut down specific directories um so this is an area that that can have a a, a great savings where you can say well there's a bunch of stuff that we post on our website that's more um historical or um, like one of the things that we talk about a lot with our think tank clients are things like events. Like maybe if those events are closed to the public, but you want them listed on your website so people can reference where they are, you don't want those showing up in search results. Um, mm -hmm. Similarly, a lot of the groups that we work with uh, really want to show off when they get great media placements. So if they have an op-ed published in a, a popular newspaper or one of their fellows appears as a guest on a news program talking about the news of the day, they will list that. We call that media tracking, but we definitely don't want Google to be indexing at least uh, an op-ed that was a pu published somewhere else. So if you got a placement in the Washington post, you don't want it to look like to Google that um, you're copying something from the Washington post, right? So there's, there's ways to handle that stuff. And, and we can mm -hmm. talk about that, but but one of the ways you might do it is just say, don't crawl anything under slash events. That solves the issue, um, pretty pretty permanently. Mm -hmm. Or, it, well, we'll get into it as we talk about um, robots, meta tags, and other things, and the difference between those. But this will at least block them from crawling, so you won't be you'll you'll be at least telling Google, uh, don't waste your time over here, crawling yeah. these things. You can just bypass all that. All right. So I, I think without getting into the other tools, oh, I, I also included for many of these sections how to test what's going on on your site. Uh, so I would use uh, Google's own robots testing tool. So if you just Google Google robots testing tool, that would be the first result. And I believe it only works through Google Search Console through domains you have verified. Right. So you're a little limited there, but if if you if you're looking at a site that you don't yet have um, ownership of through a Search Console, you can check out 
Merkel's Robots TXT Validator. And I'll throw that in the show notes too. And, and Merkel, I think spelled the same way as the former German chancellor, uh, has a whole suite of these SEO tools. And that um, those are available over at, I think it's called technicalseo.com slash tools. And you'll see that there. And then uh, the way that those testers work then is you can paste in your robots file, how you have it configured, and then give it a test URL and it will let you know, am I going to crawl this or not crawl this based on the rules given, right? right. So it's a way of just sort of taking your rules for a test you drive. Verify it's working like you expected. You can put in your robots.txt code and you can put in an example URL and see, is this being blocked or is this uh, accessible to Google? Right? Yeah, exactly. To avoid something like the uh, blocking everything accidentally because you misunderstood a rule or something. Yeah, something was interpreted yeah. as, as overly mm -hmm. broad. And, and it can be really easy to do that with, um, you can use some regex, so some some variables and stars and, yeah. and yeah, dollar mm -hmm. signs at the end to say this is the end of the expression, all that stuff. So we don't need to get, get into all that technical stuff, but it's no, no. easy when you're when you're making these rules and they and you're setting all sorts of um broad rules with exceptions and so on to to screw up no matter how careful you are so it's always a good idea to come up with some test cases of stuff that you definitely don't want to have to have crawled and some th things that you want to have crawled so all right mm -hmm. um another key aspect of this of crawling is simply page speed so I think in, in last week's episode about, um, I think we were talking about how page speed is sunsetted or um, maybe that was the episode before that, but Google's no longer using page speed as a ranking factor, but the page, the, the speed of your page overall still does matter for other things. And one of those things is crawling. Okay. So if it just takes Google a long time to load your page, because the crawler is still going to load image assets. Uh, it's going to load a PDF that you reference. It's going to load. Um, eventually, it will render the JavaScript. So it's just, it's always better to have code that's performing as well as it can. So you know, keep those pages light. Don't be serving up you know twenty five megabyte images, things like that. So I think avoiding the worst possible behavior when it comes to page load time is a good idea for crawlability. Um, but but the probably the more common thing is server response times are really bad. So that would right. be things like shared hosting, right? You're yeah. you sign up with I don't know what one of the one of the cheap four dollar a month sort of hosting plans. Yeah, you really really don't want to do this if you're running an organization. You know if if no, if you're if, if, if you, site or something. Yes, you know. but I mean, I mean, the, like the groups that are in our think tank index are groups that have a half a million dollar budget or more per year, you know. So you're paying, mm -hmm. let's say, a, a two handfuls of people, um, some amount of money. Some of whom are are getting really well paid because they're experts in their fields and are writing in depth policy studies, whatever they might be doing. You don't want to hamstring their efforts because uh, you wanted to save five hundred dollars a year on hosting. It's just such a stupid thing to do. Uh, you know, it, it's a, the smallest little percentage of your budget is now making it that, you know, your, yeah. your content's not accessible online or it's not going to be accessible online for a long time. Um, 
Because the way that the Google crawler yeah. works is it tries to crawl as fast as it can, but when it starts noticing that it's getting, let's say, 503 errors from the server, server's not responsive, can't load, it figures, oh, I'm overwhelming the server, and it adjusts its crawl rate down. Exactly, um, yeah. And once it does that, it's not going to test that much. How fast can I push this? Um, as in, it may even take a little while after you upgrade a server for it to start crawling your website faster. And of course, mm-hmm. the, the advantage of crawling your website faster is you publish something, and especially the the way that things work in the public policy world is you tend to wait around, wait around, wait around, and then suddenly things are moving. You know, they're moving through a regulatory process or they're moving through a state legislature or whatever it might be. Um, your content needs to be available fast, not two days from now, not six hours from now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so best to have a server that responds well. I mean, users are going to like that too. They're going to come to your website. It's going to be snappy and nice. So, so ways yeah. to test this are um, Google's own PageSpeed Insights. So just test page per page with a testing tool there. If you're using Chrome, you can use Lighthouse that's built into Chrome. And um, and finally, there's a Pingdom Speed Test. We've used that before. And that will show you um, a waterfall report of your of your web pages. And, um, and what that looks like is basically a timeline um, showing you what's taking the most time to load. And of course, if you see that the first thing that it's loading, that first byte, is really, really slow that's an indication that your server needs to be upgraded. Mm-hmm. So in, in Lighthouse or, Space, or PageSpeed Insights, they would call that TTFB, time to first byte. Okay, so what's what's next on our list? Uh, are we here going into HTTP codes? So... Yeah, so there's... There's a lot of, of those. We're not going to discuss of all of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we've got a, but, there's, you know, several dozen of these codes and it's, it's the way that the, um, a server responds and says, it sends a header along with whatever is, um, whatever's being presented, uh, to tell the browser, you know, uh, what, what it's receiving. Um, mm-hmm. so like a 200 code is success or okay. Here's, you know, you requested this page and here's this page. No problem. Um, yeah. but then we have redirections. So how many, what are the redirections we should be concerned about? Um, so the one that's most relevant for us, CO is going to be, and the most common one is 301, uh, permit redirect. So if you apply that to a page, Google understand that you know, let's say from page A to page B that if you, yeah, make a permanent 301 redirect from page A to page B, then Google assume page B is the new page A. It will pass all the, um, what do you call it? The, we don't call it page rank anymore, right? <laughs> but it'll pass all the authority of the of page one to page B, right? Yeah, well, they no longer refer to page rank in the documentation, but we should just call it page rank because no, no. we know that we know that's uh, what they're doing. <laughs> um, um, the, they have a temporary one too, three hundred two, which will not will not do uh, this with those. Those I, I'm thinking about use. We haven't used. I don't remember using a temporary three hundred two redirect, but I guess you could use it maybe if you have a temporary event or something, and you want to redirect the I don't know redirect the homepage. I think to, we have we've used it once in the, in um, that con. 
in that context. Okay. Like, um, right. A, a group is maybe hosting an event and normally the events are all listed on their events page. And maybe that event yeah. was listed there, but now that the event is open for registrations and they have a huge schedule and they want speaker lineups and all that stuff, they temporarily redirect it to like, um, a website that, that is kind of functioning to facilitate the event to allow people who are there mm -hmm. to, you know, move from thing to thing. So temporarily you can find things about our annual conference at this URL. And after the annual conference mm. is closed, maybe they move that back to the, um, they just start using the, the, uh, the event page again on their main site. And maybe they throw mm -hmm. up a couple, couple videos there or something to let people know how great their annual convention was. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's there's others. Um, three hundred four. I don't know that I've used the not modified. I'm not even sure I know what that does. Uh, uh, no, I, I don't know. I and I've looked and seen that. that I, I I saw just before the podcast in, in reviewing my notes that three hundred two is now called found. Strange. Okay. Uh, and three hundred seven is temporary reader. So there's some changes going on there, and we'll see how things get okay. implemented. I mean, whenever All we're right. doing this stuff, we're always using standard tools and trying to follow what the the mainstream of the web community is doing. I never want to be like innovating in the field of redirects. Seems like a bad place to be heavily experimenting. But the most common thing you're going to see is, oh, we changed from Drupal to WordPress last year. And in the process, we decided to rename our URLs so that our research is now under slash research, whereas it used to be under slash publications. Cause we think publications yeah. is like a uh, outmoded word. Cause we don't really print these things anymore. They're just, you know, it's research. Mm -hmm. There's always these little arbitrary things like that. And then you can create these rules that say, okay, okay. The stuff that used to be here is now here. Um, the reason why this all affects crawling is of course, if a link is pointing from one thing to another, uh, we need to know what that, that status code is so the the crawler will will crawl over to the 301 redirect whereas if it can't find the link and it gets a 404 that should be how a server set up can't find this link it lets the crawler know not found but we've seen problems here where bad status codes are attached to things so one is uh imagine you have a 403 or a 503 those are forbidden or service unavailable come up when the crawler tries to look at your robots.txt file. Mm. So this is this is bad because so Google wants to see either a 200, like here's the robots.txt file, you found it, or a 404. A 404 would mean we don't have a robots.txt file. And in that case, mm -hmm. Google says, cool, I'm just going to crawl the whole website, right? So yeah. 200, I'll follow the rules that you have posted. 404, there are no rules. I'm going to go like full anarchy all over your website. Whereas mm -hmm. if it gets a 403 forbidden, I'm not allowed to look at the rules or, you know, 503, oh, we can't serve up the rules right now. Google will sometimes not crawl the website at all mm -hmm. uh, because it's okay. trying to be deferential. Like it knows you, you have a robots file uh, and you have specific rules. I can't access those rules. So imagine if you mm -hmm. went into like a private club and they said, well, we have very strict rules here. Uh, and if you yeah. violate them, we'll be really mad at you. And you said, can I look at the mm -hmm. rules? And they said, no, <laughs> the rule book, yeah. rule, rule book is for members. You'd say, well, I think I should leave. 
Because, you know, I might make a faux yeah. pas. I don't know. I might set a drink down without a coaster and then get ejected from the club, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So Google's trying to trying to be deferential and respectful to site owners. So that's often a, a one of these like little bitty, one of these things where one thing goes wrong in SEO and the whole website's screwed. It's just, it's just the tiniest mm-hmm. little thing. Um, I'm sure that status codes will come up uh, later, but uh, why don't we proceed on to the next uh, the next oh. section here? Yeah, URLs. Yeah. So I okay. I um I added to your you filled a lot of notes here. I added to your notes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Barry Adams is rule about URLs, which is the best URL is one you never ever 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 have to change. Mm-hmm. And that's like so much of our like the most difficult thing and the thing that I hate the most is mm-hmm. that the the client decides, well, we just can't call publications publications anymore. We have to call them studies, simple things like that. You can say, okay, you know, re- replace this part of the URL publications with studies, but when they start kind of mixing and matching and moving stuff all over that can't be captured by rules very easily, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're taking the directories out of these URLs, but but adding new directories to these URLs and all these things that that, that uh, I, I think it's it's just strange people get so fixated on that because I don't think people pay attention to what's in the address bar too much. Um, but but what it causes is just a lot of stuff to keep track of, and even if you keep track of the redirects really efficiently and you have a well managed migration process where you say, well the, the this file used to be available at this URL. Now it's available at this URL. I'm going to generate a nice redirect mm-hmm. list with this taken care of. The redirect is still costing a little bit in terms of page rank. We know that every time that uh, the page rank passes from one URL to another URL to another URL, it gets diminished slightly. I mean, if that if that weren't the case, right. you could you could imagine that you publish one page on Good your website. Yeah. yeah. You have one page on your website that gets hundreds of links coming into it. And then you decide, I will have this page linked to only one page and that page linked to only one page and that page linked to only one page on my website. I'll create a perfectly mm-hmm. linear sitemap. And if it passed page rank along without any decrease, any little diminishing in the page rank, all of your pages would be ranked the same. Mm-hmm. And that would be crazy. Like Google wouldn't want people to be able to gamify the system that bad. So every time that that page rank goes from one page to another, it diminishes by something. We think it's 10 or 15%, something like that, through just reverse yeah. engineering and experimenting. So if you migrate your site and all of the URLs change, they all have to go through 301 redirects. You're essentially saying, I want to just wipe away 15% of the incoming link value to my website. You know, so that's obviously going to cause a problem. That's that's why I think it should just be, you know, URL.com slash title of page. Mm-hmm. And who cares about the structure? So all of that said, if you're setting up a website brand new, or if you just, for some reason, you can't maintain the same URL structure that you've had and you have to change them, how should they look? Um, if they're... <laughs> Just going off your, yeah, going off your second point on the list. Yeah. I understand. Um, I'm just thinking if there should be anything before those. Um, Okay. Well, anyway, this should be 
simple human readable um and i think most well, unless you're using safari i guess which hides the url nowadays right or is that just a yeah. mobile i disable but, all that stuff but yeah <laughs> but uh you know it's, it's very common for urls to have something maybe like uh session ID or something, some random number referral uh, details. Um, but Google prefers here also to be simple and human readable. Let's say slash, let's say uh, digital slash, I don't remember our Excel structure, but slash blog slash uh, crawlability.html uh, or something that will be a post about this or we're discussing today. Um, they do yeah. prefer, and I think this is something that I've seen across, uh, I mean, you, you see this generally across the web, they prefer dashes over underscores. Uh, I don't see, these look better, I think. I mean, they are actually a part of written language too, dashes, right? So underscores yeah. aren't really, yeah, not, not in English anyway. Um, so uh th those are two points um uh yeah like I, I said before about the session and that's not just or... go ahead oh I, I was going to say that's not just speculation either like google <laughs> itself says that yeah yeah this is what they say they say points use use dashes not not underscores and i i think that's probably um it's probably harder to see that they're there yeah it's weird to type them so um yeah, whenever Google says, well, we really prefer this, I think it's a good idea to embrace that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, another thing very common is um, probably on most of our client sites and, and in this uh, niche in general is um, search filter or sorting parameters in the URL um, and calendars for sure. Um, they... Uh, so those generate a little question mark in the URL. Yeah, yeah. So like if you search, you often see the, um, you know, you might see example.com slash question mark or S question mark equals or something like that for search or search equals um, with a question mark in there somewhere. I forget how they all go into order, mm -hmm. uh, but that's indicating the search term, right? So if I, I could then copy and paste my search results to you, it's in a URL. It's going to bring up the same search results I search for, um, or calendars will yeah. often have a sort of like it expresses the month, so it might say twenty twenty two, eleven four, something like that. Yeah, I mean, and the issue we're talking about here with that is just well, it's with the search filters and the calendars, it's just un unlimited content. Um, yep, and, right? and every every unique URL is seen by Google as another page. Mm -hmm. So even if it's so, just adding a filter onto something or a search result page or the print version, you know, slash question mark equals print yeah. or whatever. Just um, to clarify here, we're talking about uh, maybe another, just, just talking about those URLs being ugly. I mean, they are often, but they are problematic in another way in that they can uh, create problems with your crawl budget. Like Google doesn't have unlimited resources. They... Um, if you're feeding them unlimited URLs, uh, that can be a problem. They're not gonna might not get to some of your real 
um, yeah. unique content. So as, we've seen things soon. where where websites will do something like once you get into the events page, you can just keep clicking forward. And of course, there's no events scheduled for 2032, but there might still be a calendar page for that. And if you can yeah. just keep clicking forward and forward, well, you just never run out of dates. So suddenly, um, you know, you're like in Jules Verne's time machine and you're going to the end of the universe in this thing. Uh, and you're up to, you know, 4455, the dates never end. So they call those like crawl traps where you're just, the, the, the crawler gets into an infinite progression. Um, mm, crawl traps. Okay. Yeah. Or if yeah. somehow search is exposed in a way where you can start clicking on different search results, um, mm -hmm. it, it might be able to just continue, continue filtering through those in some way. Uh, so yeah, that that's a, that's an opportunity to go back into your robots.txt file and say, okay, disallow anything that has slash and whatever the pattern is of a search URL yeah. or, uh, or a calendar mark. URL parameter yeah yeah exactly um you still want like we talked about before google should be able to crawl all your content you, you don't orphan pages pages that can't be reached on your site but you can just allow google to go through like a numbered index of your content in in the search for example but yeah. just not don't allow them to use all the uh, filtering and sorting in arbitrary order, creating this unlimited uh, number of pages. Just, just give them a way to see all the content sequentially or something. Yeah. That doesn't have to be visible to the user, but they need to be able to do it. All right. So then um, let's continue talking about, so we talked about URLs, but let's talk about links in specific. Um, mm -hmm. So now once, once you're on a page, um, you know, it's important to note this. What what is robots or what what does the crawler do? The crawler's not only finding pages, but it's charting all of the links between pages. So it's it's creating a real mm -hmm. map of your website. And um, you know, a map is not just cities uh, on a map. You want to show the highways and roads that connect them. And that gives you a lot of sense about what's important and what isn't. Uh, you know, you see this, the little dot for a city on the map and you see dozens and dozens of roads leading to it. You might think, oh, that's, that must be the capital of that far off country. Uh, same thing with how it's crawling mm -hmm. through links. So your links on your website are vitally important. Um, you would, you want it to be that every single page on the website is accessible through just clicking link to link to link to link that nothing is, has to be found with a um, with search or nothing has to be found by going into some sort of um, JavaScript mediated content finder thing. Usually that's mm -hmm. search. Um, and then there's, there's different types of links and this is getting a little bit away from pure crawlability. Um, but it's worth thinking about mm -hmm. the fact that there's different weight given to different links. So we have template links versus right. content links. And with modern HTML, we now have things like um, tags that show off the the main content, so we can we can differentiate what a menu is versus. Um, right. I, I forget what all these HTML tags are. Mm -hmm. I always have to reference this, but it's, like, it's for example. Like, sorry, I was just saying like not long ago we had we were working on an issue with this with a client that had structured things in such a way that we were getting 
like it's so common on blogs and sites to have links to the previous and next articles at the bottom, right? I was yeah. seeing those titles coming up in Google for the original article, right? We, we don't want to really see that in the meta description or something or whatever it was. I don't remember what the issue was because it was inside, I think, the article tag for the article, those links to other articles. They should have been outside the article tag in a navigation tag or something, I think. Yeah. Uh, they, they have some word like like ancillary yeah. or accessory or something like that for, you know, your, your yeah, related a, blogs block or whatever yeah. aside. That's exactly right. So you can interrupt the main content with an aside. Um, mm -hmm. That gets more into indexing and ranking and parsing apart the content, but um, sure. Yeah. I just thought of it now. It's, yeah. Uh, but other things to consider with crawlability and links. Um, I, I also noted anchor text, but that's more of an index thing, but, Broken links are bad. So if your if your website is not particularly crawlable, you might look for broken links. So you can do that by running a crawl tool like um like Sitebulb or Screaming Frog uh, is another mm -hmm. tool that you can download and easily run. I think the easiest thing for the average person to run is uh Hrefs site audit. And you can get that for free with Hrefs webmaster tools. So you can sign up for their okay. services for free there. The reason why they want to do that is because every website that they analyze and get a little bit more access to adds to their database, makes their product a little bit more valuable. Um, every time something is free, it's because you're the product. So your data is going to become part of their product. Mm -hmm. But they do have a, a very robust web crawler that gives that does detect some um, most technical issues that you might run into. But it will definitely let you know when there are just broken links that it encounters, and those might be broken links uh, to to things outside your your website. So you you don't have a ton of control mm -hmm. over that. But if you're if you're pointing internally, you know it's linking to a page on your own website that no longer exists, or maybe it's pointing to a tag that you've renamed or something like that. You can go back in and fix those issues, and that's that's probably going to help. Um, that's definitely going to help the web crawler. Uh, but also help with mm -hmm. indexing and ranking farther down the process because now Google will have a really good sense of how your website is interrelated rather than like running into these dead ends. Uh, the other thing I noted here about links is there is a crazy mm -hmm. rule that you cannot have more than 3,000 links on a page. Oh, interesting. Now, now usually you think, when the hell is that going to happen? Like 3,000 links are only going to be on a page if that page is spammy crazy page right like what what page Oof. would that be even like the the busiest forum <laughs> or comment section isn't quite going to get to three thousand on a page but the one example i can think of is an html sitemap so we're going to talk about xml sitemaps a little later but an html sitemap sitemap is sometimes on sites you'll find it in the footer right sitemap and it's basically like yeah. a big uh, tabbed like indented outline right and it's showing you mm -hmm. Here's the landing page for, you know, in, in the world of think tanks that we operate in, um, foreign policy and foreign policy breaks down into defense and breaks down into whatever. They might have it outlined like that and have every article on that topic listed under it. So those pages are absurdly long, not always meant to be um, viewed by a person. They're sort of meant to be like, hey, if all else fails, the Google crawling robot could just visit this page and find all of our stuff. 
And for smaller groups, maybe that's fine. It links out to 500 pages. Perfect. It like mm-hmm. solves it solves at least the issue of can Google find every page? Now you'd you'd rather have it crawl and sort of understand how these pages relate to each other as presented to normal human beings. You know, it's it's a weird architecture to have a site go from home page to another page and that page links to every page on the website. But it is a it is a fail-safe, but important to know that if you are generating something like that and you have a big website with over 3,000 pages, um, it's just going to be ignored. The crawler is going to say, I can't handle this. This page is too much. Uh, and I don't know if it bails out mm-hmm. on the on the 3,001 link uh, <laughs> or, or if it just doesn't, it can't parse the whole thing altogether and just gives up. So um, I'm not clear on where that failure point stands, but just don't don't get to that failure point. Um, so let's see, we, we talked about redirects was on our list, but we already talked about 301s and temporary redirects yeah. and 307s. So I think we've covered off on that. Should we talk about JavaScript? Yeah. Um, so there's a couple different sort of sides of that that we can talk about. Um, I mean, one thing is just some websites today are just entirely JavaScript rendered. And in, in the past, um, that was not as common. And that would be a problem, definitely, for the, Google just wouldn't crawl that at all at some point, I think. Like, they wouldn't render the page. But they do that Do that now. It is more expensive for them. So at least for for our clients, it's just much less common to have. They are not usually running on that technology that's purely JavaScript rendered. And that means, like, if you would disable JavaScript, you would just see a white page with nothing on it because your browser yeah. is rendering machine, not the server. Well, it's common now to see websites that are a mix where if you turn off JavaScript, you load the you load the website and you may get the header and the footer, but nothing in between. The, it, that's common too. Uh, I said there are still websites that, that don't do the server side is because it's just well, there's there are definitely pluses to that. It's uh it's cheaper. You don't have to have a super robust server. But um regardless, like even today, this it, it's still I mean, better for SEO to have uh, a server rendered version because it's just so much cheaper for Google to to index it. They don't have to render these JavaScript. Yeah. So when you but, talk about um, server rendering versus client rendering, I'm just going to unpack that a little bit for non-technical people. <laughs> um, so JavaScript is something that's rendered or it's it's basically processed into something that you can see in your web browser. So that's different from HTML. So most, like if your website is running WordPress or Drupal, for example, uh, it has a scripting language called PHP that is pulling pulling stuff from the database, uh, assembling those pages together, but that's all done by the server. And what's shipped to your browser is a page in HTML. And HTML is just the simplest thing to put together real quickly to render out a web page. JavaScript is different in that it's a scripting language, but it's running in your browser, as in the program is sent to you, not the final process of the program. And now the program is being run in the browser, and the browser has to assemble that stuff. You know, there's assembly, a little bit of assembly on the HTML side, you know, combine this code with all the images and stuff that we're telling you about. But, you know, as Anar said, if you turn JavaScript off on some of these websites, it's just white. There's nothing to see because the JavaScript is doing everything. 
So that means if Google wants to see what you see, it has to run a browser. And so they end up running what they call a headless uh, Chrome browser, as in there's no monitor and there's no person looking at it, but they're still using a web browser to render what would ultimately be shown to the visitor so that it can mm-hmm. then it can then crawl whatever the product of that JavaScript is. Basically, your site has to go through a whole queue, like a render queue that um, server-side rendered pages don't have to go through, right? Yeah, and I've I've heard now that um, that this is becoming faster and faster. So so Google's maybe sure. um, just just had had to commit more resources to this because mm-hmm. uh, people want to design seven JavaScript, and if they if they don't do it or if it's real slow. Um, there's just there's no way for Google to say don't do this or do it a different way or or have a different way for our crawler to see this stuff. Uh, there's just too many people using it, so they've gotten faster and faster at it. Yeah. Um, but but our experience has not just been oh the the JavaScript slows things down, but otherwise it's fine. Uh, it's also that the JavaScript just breaks the ability for the crawler to work at all. Yeah. So, so even though it can render it, render it quickly. Let's talk about sites that well are not necessarily entirely rendered by JavaScript, but we we've seen many sites in our space that, which just have parts that are rendered in JavaScript and uh, build yeah. JavaScript, which can be problematic. Right. So that might be something like you're browsing around the think tank, and you're you're on the education think tank website, and you're you're clicking on charter schools, and you start looking through their list of of 30 things on charter schools, you get to the end of it and it has a load more button. And that load more button could be implemented in all sorts of different ways uh, that could look like a link to a crawler. It could not look like a link to a crawler. It could just look like a click action in JavaScript. And the, the web crawler is not doing things like pressing every damn button on a JavaScript page just to like figure out what it does, right? It the crawler wants to click on links. So if JavaScript generates a link and that link is an a href tag, it has to be that exact thing in the code, or it's not going to deal with it. Um, so there, there's there's ways of um, there's ways of implementing those buttons where Google sees it as a link, it clicks it. Now there's yeah. ten more links for it to follow on the page. Um, it might yeah, be able you can to deal still with use that. those technologies. I mean, they look kind of cool. Maybe they're, they're applicable to many, some cases, but just provide a fallback for Google to be able to see, like we talked about this a bit earlier, see yeah. all the content so there are no orf- orphans. Yeah, so we've um, set it back. We've we've set up sites where they gracefully degrade, where if JavaScript isn't on at all, it will just show paginated mm-hmm. links, just like the paginated links you see on Google itself, right? Results one through, or pages yeah. one, one through 10. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that way Google can just keep going back and back and back through your archive. And for for some of our clients, their back catalog is you know forty thousand pieces of content because uh, they've got twenty five years worth of blog and studies and mm-hmm. you know, news releases and everything else that they've done. Um, so you've got to make that stuff uh, crawlable because again, it's not enough for Google to just discover these things; it has to understand the relationship between pages. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is a good segue into, into sitemaps. And, and I'm going to make a controversial statement here about sitemaps. 
I don't think that they should be called sitemaps. Because <laughs> I think a, a, a map, like I was talking about earlier, yeah. is you know the, the dots on the map that show the cities, uh, but it also shows the roads. Yeah, sure. XML sitemaps have no roads. XML sitemaps are just a list of URLs on your site. And yeah. sometimes, and this isn't even required, uh, a list of when they were last modified. So there's a date associated with it, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think that they might be able to show published and last modified, but I think last modified is what's preferred. So mm -hmm. I know if you've gone in and, and changed this page. So if you have the always up-to-date page of the war in Ukraine, something like that, you know, you're a, a foreign policy think tank writing about this stuff. Um, and you update it several times a day, it should be reflected in the sitemap. It'll say, okay, last updated 9 a.m., then last updated 11.30 a.m., so on and so on throughout the day. So I think these things should just be called URL dated lists because a map is a little uh, grand for what they are. Um, yeah. So these, these are good for that specific purpose, for letting Google know this is the content that we have, and here's when it was last updated. And you can submit these to Google in Google Search Console. Um, and if you have a very large site, you're actually submitting what's called a sitemap index. So it's a list of all of your lists, right? And and Google has specific um, instructions on those. You know, Each can contain a maximum of X number. I think it's 5,000 URLs per list. And maybe your index page can have 5,000 lists. So I think there's some upper cap and maybe I'm getting that wrong, but it's, it's something like, boy, if you start getting over 25 million URLs or 2.5 million or something, anyway, the, 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 uh, the ceiling on it is absurd. It's, it's way more than we've ever uh, approached. Um, and, and there's a file limit on them and things like that. But you submit them to Google. Google can read through these things. And ideally, what it should be doing is just speeding up Google's indexation of new content. Because if it can consult that XML file and see when were things last modified, and it's, it's generating some sort of diff there, right? Like, oh, what's changed since the last time I was here? Oh, yeah. these pages have been added. And these you know three dozen pages have have a new a new more recent update date and time on them so i'll go mm -hmm. crawl those first start with those things you know get them over to the indexer it's going to decide what's what's changed uh so that especially uh, if if these are are topical newsy things it's indexing them and showing them to users right away that's its goal uh and it even has mm -hmm. like hardcore versions of that where you have just a news sitemap and the news sitemap is stuff that's that you flag specifically as being news so this is not not going to include you know your publications or your studies it's not going to include your job listings and your events it's only going to be you know article length stuff that's talking that's addressing the news directly and that's only things published in the last 48 hours i think mm -hmm. so that's you know boy google think, really yeah. focus focus on this is it less than that? Is it 36 or 24? No, I, I, think it's, I, think it's, I think it was 48 last time. Yeah, uh, it's again, it's it's like a number that we know for academic purposes. We use, yeah, we use yeah. you know, um, SEO tools that generate these things and are are set to the proper time limit. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Oh, but but it's notable that that your XML sitemap should not contain certain things, right? Um, so we're about to talk about robots meta tags. This is a good way to segue between these two things. Uh, you can use tags like no index, or you can do something called canonicalizing, where you say um, there's maybe multiple versions of this. Like we have um, a mobile version and a print version of a page. And so the canonical version is this version, not the printer or mobile version. It's the, I don't know, plain version of the page. Um, mm -hmm. Anything that's that's canonicalized, um, so that print version of the page or the mobile version of the page shouldn't appear in the sitemap. Similarly, anything that you've marked as no index, hey, Google, don't index this. This is our you know, login page, or this is our, this is an old job listing or, or an old event, something that we've decided we just don't think you should index. Yeah. Um, those things should not appear in the XML sitemap. And, and often, depending on how that stuff is implemented, they do. So then you're sending Google this weird signal of here's a page, don't index it, but also here's a list of all our URLs that we think you should index, right? You're, you're sending this mm -hmm. mixed message and you're probably making the XML sitemap you're definitely t telling Google this sitemap is not a very trustworthy, useful signal to you because it just contains everything. Um, and you're also just making the sitemap potentially a lot larger than it has to be, especially groups that have ha have huge backlogs of events or let's say lots and lots of media tracking stuff that they've done. Like every time that they've ever appeared on a cable news show or had an op-ed published, that stuff mm -hmm. is appearing in the sitemap when they may have that set as no indexed or even canonicalized outside the site. So anyway, let's let's talk about those tags. So you were asking sure. earlier in the context of like your robots txt file. Yeah. You know, does this really matter or or is this like old this is some weird old standard that maybe we have to you know, uh, put the basics in there like allow these agents, you know, don't crawl the wp admin mm -hmm. <laughs> address. Um, but, but otherwise we'll handle things through these robots meta tags. Um, but that's not right. really, that's not really the case because they do, they do two different things. So robots okay. meta tags appear on the, on web pages themselves in the header. Um, and they'll say something like robots meta, no, no index. Mm -hmm. And that's set, uh, telling, um, a crawler like, like Google's Googlebot. Don't include this in your index. Or you might say no index, no follow. And no follow would mean don't include this page in your index and don't follow any of the links on this page. Like essentially you've hit a dead end. Like this page is just no good to you. Um, you can set all sorts of other flags like no archive, meaning it won't appear if you ever click on the sort of dot, dot, dot after the uh, after a link in Google search results. You can uh, click like you know, yeah. view, view archived. Yeah. yeah, and you you often see sites flagging things as no archive if it's maybe um, uh, protected content that's behind a login. They may have a way like, of let it, letting Google crawl that and index it, but they're saying don't mm -hmm. let it appear in the archive because then people will get around our paywall. Um, so that used to be a way that you could get around like paywalls, the New York Times or something like that. And the the search industry yeah. has, has since kind of settled on a way of letting mm -hmm. Google see that enough to index it and recommend, but not just offer the whole article to somebody in the archive. Mm -hmm. There's also mm -hmm. weird stuff like no snippet. Like if you just didn't want things to appear in featured snippets, um, right. I kind of get why people would want to do that. Like 
oh, Google's featuring us in a snippet and just answering the question. We'd rather appear in the results and maybe have people click through. That seems like a foolish strategy, but maybe people are doing it. Um, there's index if embedded, and we're seeing that used more now where you embed a video or maybe a table from, uh, we use a service called Data Wrapper to embed tables on our own website. And mm -hmm. you can let Google know, hey, if you see this as a frame embedded inside of another frame, index it. We want you to index this when it's embedded. We don't want you to index it back where it lives at Data Wrapper because that's not our website. Um, and there's a bunch of other things. Max Image Preview, that's for um, Google News mainly. Um, and other standards that, that can be flagged in there. But it's key to just understand what the mechanism is doing. In one case with, with robots.txt, I'm telling you, don't crawl this page. And in another, I'm saying don't index. Those are two different things. So if mm -hmm. I mark something as no index, it's going to visit the page every damn time anyway, right? It'll just keep, because if other pages are linking to it, it's going to get there and then go, oh, no index, no index. Uh, and it'll do it every time. Uh, conversely, if you set something as as not to be crawled, so let's say I block my entire events directory on my website uh, from robots.txt, Google could still come to it uh, via links from the outside. So let's say um, other, other groups are linking to my event or my event gets picked up by a publication or whatever. There are outside links showing that. Google can discover it and index it, even though robots.txt says don't crawl slash events. Mm -hmm. That that's only in the context of if it's if it's crawling around via our website, right? But if it finds it through another website, yeah. it could include in the index. So you some you you oftentimes have to do both. And if there's a bunch of stuff that you want to not appear in the index, you ought to be marking it as no index first, and maybe just letting Google hang out with that for a while. And we've seen this in yeah. the past, right? Like we've marked a ton of content for clients as no index. Like on one site, it was something like 35,000 posts we marked as no index because they were all old, thin content that was irrelevant. They didn't want to delete it, mm -hmm. but we knew that it wasn't good for search. And it mm -hmm. took maybe six weeks. And then we saw in Google Search Console, the number of index pages drop by roughly that number. Yeah. Then it would be safe to go into um, the robots uh, robots.txt file and say, hey, don't even bother crawling these anymore. But if oh, you do okay. it in the wrong order, right? You say, don't crawl these. It will never crawl them to see that you've marked them as no index and therefore it won't <laughs> drop them out of the index, right? So you've got to do yeah. these things in right order because it, the machine is very literal. And yeah, if you, I mean, I think the, the e tags don't really have the power to start crawling because they have to crawl it to see the tag. But exactly. Yeah. So it's like this, the most basic logic problem. You can only get to this if you can... You can only execute this rule if you see the rule. You can't see the rule yeah. if you're barred from crawling it unless you're coming in through the side door through some other link. So, <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. So that's that's robots meta tags. Um, then there's rel canonical. And canonicals are for those things, like we said, like um, you've got a mobile version of the page or a print version of the page. But it can also be for things that are like nearly the same page. Like sometimes we've yeah. seen sites where um, an interview gets posted as both and you know you can dispute if this, why the heck are you doing this to begin with? But those are separate conversations to have. Uh, sometimes there's reasons. Um, but you might see the same interview getting posted as an audio podcast 
and a video interview. And in yeah. one case, they're, they've got a SoundCloud player, and maybe that file is being used to generate the podcast RSS or something, and that's why they have two separate things. But you could consider canonicalizing one to the other. And in, in this case, I would say if a person's cruising around the web and you've got a video version and an audio only version of an interview, I would canonicalize the video version because you can look at it. And um, a video version is also an audio version <laughs> you know, for all intents and purposes, right? You can uh, have yeah. that open in a tab and be listening to it like a podcast. Sure. You know, sure. Ideally, you're solving that problem by saying, oh, here's here's a link to our podcast. You can go listen to this interview. You know, I would yeah. prefer to listen to a long form interview as a podcast most of the time. Anyway, you can think mm -hmm. of other examples like that where things might be damn near similar, but it's uh, it's the same content and you don't want Google indexing all the versions of it, right? You only want it to index the one true version of it. Um, so you mark mm -hmm. those things as canonical. And then if somebody links to, and we've seen this over and over again, someone links to the print view version of the website, or they link to, and very frequently they'll link to the mobile version of the site. Cause maybe they discovered it on their phone and then link to it on their blog later, whatever mm. it might be. Um, Google's going to take all those links pointing to all those different versions and consolidate them around the canonical URL and treat them all as one. Um, yeah. So important to mark those things. The crawler will pick those up. You know, this is all ultimately more of an indexing and ranking thing, but it it goes back into crawling because those things should all be excluded from your XML sitemap, and that is a cornerstone of of crawling. So anything that's no indexed, not included in the sitemap. Anything that's has a canonical version elsewhere, those non-canonical versions of it should be excluded from the sitemap. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. And finally, should we talk about our own, um, our own Moby Dick, our own white whale here, the thing that we've been fighting forever? It's it's fun. Yeah. Let's talk about it again. <laughs> we've probably talked about this before on on the podcast even. But um, so what is it? Like you. <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> uh, okay. So I mean, I, I guess we could title this files versus web pages, but but mostly we've been our Moby Dick has been PDFs versus web pages i mean yeah. um so um the reason that we have been advocating for web pages like you know just an html research page let's say uh, instead of a pdf publication this is a common thing with our clients is that well google does index pdfs surely uh, everyone listening has search for something on Google and got on a PDF result, right? That's quite yeah. common. But I mean, one thing, especially if you're searching for really specific stuff or you're searching mm -hmm. for the, the uh, technical manual for your dishwasher, like I've had to fix here at the house, yeah, you, yeah. Know, you get the PDF. I mean, the number one th reason that we, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that, that we have, well, at least one of the top reasons is that we have been advocating to convert uh, your PDF content to a real web page. It's just that, I mean, it's kind of a vanity metric to track PDF downloads, I think, because you don't really know if they just downloaded it and never opened it, or if they read the whole thing, or they started reading it. Like, if, if you're a web page, you can 
see at least oh, you, you can't really know if people read it but you can see how far they scrolled how much time they spent on it you can make pretty pretty adequate assumptions about how they consume yeah, so you're, that you're saying one reason why groups are hanging on to pdfs is because yeah, yeah. people that's, visit yeah, the, the visit the page for a specific study uh and they mm -hmm. download the pdf and the think tank is essentially equating that with the person has now read the entire PDF, loves the PDF, bought the PDF, right? They're kind of viewing yeah. it as a conversion event. And this is one of our ultimate goals. We're going to bring this back to our donors at the end of the year and say, our studies have been downloaded 13,500 times. So yeah. if you were to convert all those PDFs <laughs> over to HTML pages, yeah. you would see this you know, key performance indicator. One of your KPIs would go down. Because now the person mm -hmm. didn't download the PDF, they just read a web page. Same thing, yeah. So my counter argument to people who are doing that is one: don't let things that you measure dictate stupid behavior, right? <laughs> and that's the overarching thing. I wouldn't maybe put it that way to the client the first time we talked about it. Um, no, but we can measure engagement. So, so one thing to say is: okay, you're going to go back to your your board of directors, your donors, whoever, and you're going to say, uh, yeah. PDF PDF downloads are down, but that's because we're we've moved to publishing things as HTML pages, and we have mm -hmm. some alternate measures. Like we can tell you that people were on this page for four and a half minutes, and that seems like a reasonable amount of time to read the paper. You know, sometimes these mm -hmm. are only two or three page things that you could read quite quickly. We can also track things now using um, Google Tag Manager or Google Analytics Four. We can track things like scroll depth. So we know that somebody's spent minutes on the page and that they scrolled 90% of the way through the web page. Suggests that they yeah. made it made, made it all the way to the um, you know, sources cited or appendix section or whatever and decided, okay, I'm done. And they read the thing, you know. So we we might count that as a read. Um yeah. you know, and it's important to put into context, yeah, who the heck knows what happens after somebody downloads the PDF. Okay, so the it's not only we have a better way we can measure this stuff in a different way, it's also um, the PDF doesn't contain you know in your you, you made up a, a great list here which will eventually wind its way to our website. Yeah, you know, P, PDFs don't contain data elements that search engines can understand. So I know that Google is taking PDFs and converting them to HTML. I think it licenses mm -hmm. that from Adobe to in order to even do that. But boy, yeah, I, yeah. I wonder what a lot of these PDFs look like after they go through like the HTML engine, right? They probably just look like the craziest HTML page in mm -hmm. the world. Because yeah. as you're creating that PDF, how does it know that this big font is a heading versus this italic font over here in tan is a, is a, you know, a description yeah. of the photo above it or whatever, right? It contains none of those elements. It's sort of like a soup of text and images. And HTML is great because you can parse it and understand it. And um, there's all sorts of labeled elements like headers or citations or main body or title or whatever. None of that exists in the PDF. Google can do its damnedest to try to make sense of it. Um, but an HTML document is much more sensible. Um and because of that, when we've seen people take things out of PDF 
maybe they still keep the PDF around. Okay, you can still download it if you want to print it out. But when we, we see them take stuff out of PDF and make an HTML version of the page, suddenly that page ranks on the page page one of Google. Uh, because mm-hmm. it's no longer just, you know, the executive summary and a sort of easier to process. Yeah, too. mishmash yeah. of garbage, right? Because the crawler's crawling it, it's seeing the structure of this. Maybe there's even a lot of these PDFs contain awesome references out to really credible sources because it's a PDF of a study and it's been, you know, there's, it, it contains uh sources cited, whatever. Um, and that's a ranking factor in Google, right? If your page about a specific topic ranks out to other credible pages on that topic, Google says, Oh good. A well-cited page. It's not going to know that about a PDF, especially since many of these PDF reports have the URL as just text. It's not even a hyperlink within the PDF. Um, Let's see. Um, other reasons. Often these PDFs are skipped over. They have a lower click-through rate in Google search results than non-PDF pages because people yeah. sometimes just don't want to look at a PDF because PDFs are... It can be annoying to open them compared to web pages. It's just, I mean, especially if on a phone, it's just terrible. Uh, you have to, have to pinch in and out and navigate. You know, It's not mobile-friendly at all. Yeah, I mean, I also find them annoying on a desktop because, like, the the browser kind of opens yeah. a second mode where now yeah. I'm looking at this yeah. like print file. Um, so mm-hmm. it's cra- it's crazy, and I really think the idea that people are maybe other people have different habits than me, um, but even if I found something really interesting, the idea that I'm downloading it and I'm printing it, I mean, it, I, I'm downloading it and throwing it into some. Um, reader or library tool on my iPad, and I'm going to look at mm-hmm. it that way. But even then, I'm going to be pissed that I have to do that. <laughs> like, it's just like yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to absorb this content through this this way. Um, yeah, and on mobile, I think people are just going to go, ah, yeah, I can't, I can't make this work at all. Um, no. Yeah, and and a, a, another thing that you brought up that maybe we haven't touched on yet in my just freeform rambling here is that uh, they take up a lot of resources. They're typically much larger file sizes than what an HTML page would be. Yeah, I mean, often PDFs yeah. they ha- they pay no attention to optimizing images. You know, so so what may be a even if it has lots of graphs and charts and so on and so forth, what might be a four or five megabyte web page is a 35 megabyte PDF. <laughs> Just go like, okay. Yeah. So, you know, the, e- even if the crawler's grabbing those things and then Google's sort of shoving this off to the secondary process of converting it to HTML, it's just this big, heavy thing. Um, mm-hmm. So um, that's all an argument for move things over to HTML, allow the crawler to do its business. And yeah, I mean, the, the proof of the pudding is in the eating, right? And when we've done this, it's improved things. Suddenly a page that that's nowhere to be found on Google results. You know, I'm thinking of one specific client where all we did was take six studies and DPDF yeah. them, you know, copied things out. And it took a little, it took a little bit of time, but not a whole heck of a lot, actually. Not a lot, not compared to writing the damn paper. Um, you know, just copying and pasting the text out and turning things into heading two, heading three, heading four, you know, moving the images out properly, putting in a nice, um, uh, uh, what, what, what do we call it below the, uh, the image, 
um, not the citation, but the uh, <laughs> what's that? Pat caption? You mean the caption? Sorry, yeah. No, I'm just having a having mm. a low low sleep sick three year old home moment. Um, mm-hmm. Putting the captions in and all that stuff, you know, and getting those sources cited in with all those proper links pointing out. Like, bam, we're on page one of Google search results where this PDF was never going to have a hope of being anywhere um, for all the reasons we've stated. So it's just like, it's such a huge thing. I mean, if if I could if I could wave a magic wand and have something happened in, in the think tank world, it would be all the PDFs. They can still be there, like I said, provide this option for downloading stuff. And I, and I really get it when it's like a 40 or 50 page document that someone's just not going to want to read that as HTML. I might offer it as a Kindle yeah, book yeah. instead. I, I would love mm-hmm. to read these things on Kindle and not have to deal with this other crap. But um, mm-hmm. if if it were all made into a parallel HTML offering, I think you would see the, the think tank world skyrocket in search results. It would just be like amazing. Yeah. They'd go from these pages that seem like nothing, um, a page pages with two paragraphs of text and a, a file attached to it. That's a soup of images and text would go to, you know, a site consisting of 40,000 extremely long studies, like exactly the sort of stuff that Google likes to recommend, um, which are really long pages that exhaustively discuss what the topic is. And you may say, Oh gosh, you know, our, but our, our, um, our studies are so long, you know, we have tools that, that we've implemented for certain clients where we have a floating table of contents in the sidebar to allow PDFs to be browsed through. So you can kind of click through and, and, um, we've seen this on, on think tanks that aren't our clients, like, um, the Cato Institute uses a, a similar table of contents on many of its longer form studies. Um, yeah. and for things that are like really, really long, you know, where it's kind of getting small book length to giant book length. We will do both. We will have sort of navigate through this section using the sidebar and then navigate from page to page using a sort of um, meta level, larger table of contents where you can go from chapter to chapter in a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and that may sound confusing, but the way that that I think, I think we deliver it well on the page where there's a I table of contents you see at the top and bottom of each thing. And in the sidebar, you're now navigating intra the page. I think it ends up making sense to people. It is a way to offer this format as a web page, which is a better format for Google and for many users, especially maybe they just want to read the specific part. And then it's easier to find this way, actually, I think, than it in a PDF. But yes, yeah, it's, it's fine to offer the PDF option too in those cases, I think, or Kindle or whatever, something. Yeah. If you really want to do the whole thing in a um, couple of settings. Um, sure. Yeah. So I think, I mean, there's, there's definitely other things in crawlability that we haven't covered here. There's all sorts of technical points that we could have gotten into, but it would have bored everybody to death. And those are really Mm -hmm. things where, um, you know, you ought to be working with a professional, uh, to figure those out. But I, I think the message I would leave people with is, um, if you haven't yet try a tool like screaming frog or site bulb, or as I said, the easiest thing is, uh, Ahrefs webmaster tools because it's free. It runs on their site. You don't even have to verify that you own the site to crawl it. It will crawl it at a very slow rate if that's the case, but uh, but you can crawl it nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And 
it will let you know and just do a rough comparison then of how many pages do I know are on my website? You know, so if it's WordPress or Drupal or whatever you're running, go into the CMS and add up how many posts, how many studies, how many whatever, depending on how it part, you know, divides out your content. Add up, add that stuff up. How many pages ought Google to be finding? Um, and then see what the crawler finds. And if the crawler is only finding 5,000 out of 40,000 pages, your website has a crawling problem. Um, you might run the crawl again and select execute JavaScript, see if it does any better. But if it still comes back with 5,000 out of 40,000 URLs, uh, you've got a crawling problem. You're you're in bad shape. And it, it's it's probably a JavaScript issue when you see issues like that. Um, you may see something where uh, where it kicks back like, can't crawl this at all. Oops. You know, you've got disallow all user agents in robots.txt. Uh, your site's completely broken. Or you might see some number in between. Uh, and you realize, oh, you know, it's not a JavaScript issue, but but we've definitely, there's some pages that you just can't navigate to. There's no way to 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 click from the homepage all the way to that page. Um, yeah. But, but I think that's the best way to get uh, insights into it. You know, there's other things that you can look at, like go into Google search console and look at the, the crawl report. But I think for most people, that's not going to be the quickest path to diagnosing their problem. No. Um, Cause you can see what Google's crawling per day. Then you can get into these long lists and maybe load them yeah. into Excel and start like filtering through lists. Um, or you can start doing like crawl analysis stuff but that just gets like way crazy technical whereas just running a crawl and saying i'm only coming up with 10 percent of the urls that ought to be here you know that's mm -hmm. that's your surefire indicator of something's broken in here um and these issues can be particularly vexing because the website still looks like it works right there's there's other seo issues that you're kind of tipped off by the fact that the website doesn't load or work quite correctly um, or gosh, the website's awfully slow. Okay. That's affecting our page experience score. Um, mm -hmm. you know, the website's not organized particularly well, that's going to hurt users and, and Google, but this yeah. is one where the website can look brilliant and be easy to use and users report that they love it, you know? Uh, and yet the machine just can't break through. It just can't figure out what the heck is going on. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's it on crawling. Do you have anything else you want to add? No, I think uh, we covered tried to cover some interesting issues about crawling. Like you said, some things may be just too technical to um, go into detail on on podcasts like this. But I think we'll probably do another part soon on crawling. Some things that we may not have covered today. Um, yeah, and often there's technical things that that we don't need to put on our own audit lists. We basically say, mm -hmm. run this tool and the tool will tell you if some things are broken. Um, yeah. I mean, usually I, I also, I also have an absurdly long technical checklist because I will check those things manually as well, just to make sure. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, but I think for, for folks out there, you know, you're using un unlike some, some other issues in SEO that a, an automated tool cannot reveal testing crawling with a crawler 
is a pretty good way of testing stuff. So that's why, you know, I recommend mm. that you're using something that is mirroring the process at, at Google um, as one-to-one as possible. Um, Google's crawler, I don't think is there, there is some, probably some sophistication as to how they prioritize and, you know, what, how often do we crawl what? And, you know, I've seen Matt cuts talk about this in videos that are 10, 10 years old now. Um, but at the core, the crawler is the same. A crawler looks at a page, captures the links, visits those links, captures the links in the mm-hmm. next page, so on and so forth. The basics of it are the same. So it is the best tool with which to diagnose a crawling problem. Um, okay. Well, I think we've covered yeah. off on that pretty well. So I think until next week. Yes. We'll see you. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.